EC has a question about post-millennialism, which I would love to read to you, but it's on my phone and I'm using the phone to record. So let me give it to you from memory. I'll try to put it up here as well. Hey, YouTube theologians, Pastor Wolfmuller here. By the way, stop and go theology today, answering your questions. Uh, I, could you respond to post-millennialism? How do we argue against it? I'm trying to understand Augsburg 17. What about the seven hills and dominion theology? And what about the book of Revelation? What's the best way to understand it? Uh, historically, ideally, or the other ways to do it? So, a question about the way we understand the future and the way we interpret the Bible. Great question. I think your eschatology, which is your doctrine of the end times, uh, grows right out of your hermeneutic, how you read the Bible. And so it's a great test case. What someone, how someone understands the end times tells you a lot about how, how they're reading the Bible. Now, uh, let's start with postmillennialism, which is a, it's an interesting historical phenomenon how postmillennialism kind of comes in and out of favor. Uh, let me give you the background. So millennialism refers to the text in Revelation chapter 20 where it talks about a thousand years where those who are martyred reign with Christ. For a thousand years he sits on his throne. And uh, six or seven times it mentions that thousand years. And the question that uh, when we're thinking about the end times here is what is the ordering of that millennium with the return of Jesus? So you have uh, premillennialism, which says that Jesus will come back in glory before that millennium and set up that 1,000-year reign, that kingdom on earth, before the end of all things and the resurrection of the dead and so forth. Then there's postmillennialism, which says that Jesus will come back after the 1,000 years, that the church will so um, spread the gospel and the rule of Christ in such a way through the ministry of the church that there will be a thousand year golden age sometimes interpreted as a literal thousand years sometimes interpreted as a figurative thousand years and then at the end of that millennium Jesus will return then there's the amillennial or realized millennialist which says that says that we're living in the millennium now that the millennium is to be understood as the time between the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and his return in glory. Um, that's maybe if you go to the early church, they were fighting between an Amil view and a historic pre trib view. But really, since St. Augustine in 330 or whatever, the church has really held to a amillennial view kind of across the board uh, until more recent times when premillennialism got a boost with with the inauguration of dispensational premillennialism a couple hundred years ago. But, but what's really interesting to think about is that amillennialism is postmillennialism. I mean, the amillennialist and the postmillennialist both believe that the millennium comes before the return of Jesus. So then the difference between the amill position and the postmill position is this. What marks the beginning of the millennium? And this must be a textual question, I think. So, uh, so when we look at Revelation 20, we just ask the question, what is the beginning, what is the event that marks the beginning of the thousand years? How do we know that the thousand years has begun? 
And the text tells us, John sees an angel come down from heaven with a great chain and he binds the devil and throws him in the bottomless pit. So that the thousand years begins with the binding of the devil. Now we just have a biblical question. When does the Bible say the devil is bound? Now both post-millennialist and pre... And I'm, I'm interested to hear the... I mean, I, I'm sure I'm going to get a ton of post-mill comments down below. And so I would love to hear the argument against it. Uh, or the argument for when we know the devil is bound, according to post-millennialism. But the Amil position, which I, I'm utterly convinced is the plain, simple, biblical reading of things, is that the devil is bound in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus himself says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven when the 70 are out uh, preaching the gospel and casting out demons. Jesus tells the parable, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all have this parable all told slightly differently, which I think, I would like to think that that means that Jesus told this parable three different times in three different ways. The parable of the strong man who sits on his goods and his goods are at peace until the stronger man comes and binds him up. And then he's able to, then he's able to loot the strong man's house. And Jesus tells this parable in the context of him casting out demons and being accused, remember, of casting out demons by Beelzebub. And he says, no, I'm casting out demons because I'm the stronger one who's bound the devil and cast him out. John tells us, for this reason, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Or Colossians, Paul says that he made a public spectacle of them, the demons, uh, overcoming them when, he was when, the, uh, when the law was nailed to the cross. The most clear passage here is... Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 which says that even as we have flesh and blood Jesus partook of the same so that and listen carefully so that through his death he might destroy him who has the power of death that is the devil and set those free who all their lifetimes were subject to bondage to the end that bondage by the way is the fear of death it's quite amazing so the text says so clearly that through his death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death. And who's the one who has the power of death? The, te the text tells us it's the devil. Jesus' death destroys the devil. Now, we say the, the only response to that is not a biblical response. Like, ah, oh, no, the text isn't clear. That can't be what it means or whatever. The only response is, are you crazy? Look around. Don't you watch the news? Don't you listen to the police scanner? I do, by the way. I'm upset that all the police stations are changing from the scanners to the... Yeah. But that's the response. It says, well, look around. If you look around, then it looks like the devil is still loose. But we are not look-aroundists. We are Christians. That means we believe what the Bible says. But we even have a hint in Hebrews 2. If you go back up to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, it quotes Psalm 8. He will put all things under his feet. And he says, in that he has put all things under his feet, we do not yet see all things put under his feet, but we see Jesus made for a little while lower than the angels. So all things are under the feet of Jesus, even the devil himself who's destroyed. But we don't see it yet. Now, why not? That's a, the Lord's decision. He, he has decided 
to continue to hide his glory, to not, I mean, he, if he wanted to, we could, Jesus could show himself. We could just look up in the skies and see him sit, seated on the throne if he wanted to show us that glory, but he doesn't. He wants us to have the sustaining vision of the cross and the empty tomb. That's what he wants for us now until his return in glory. So we trust that that's, that that's what's best. So we can't see it. We can't see the destruction of the devil. We have to believe it by faith. Which is why John is given this vision in Revelation 20 of the binding of the devil and the inauguration of the 1,000-year reign of Jesus. That's what sets Amil apart from post-mill, is that the, the beginning of the millennium, the binding of the devil, is disconnected from the cross of Christ and his ministry on our behalf. And that, I think, is the biblical case. Uh, now, now, then the question comes, well, what about the thousand years? Do we take it literally? I don't think that's really a post-mill, ah-mill argument. I think that's mostly the pre-mill would get after us for that. But for that, we just, I mean, just have to look at how the Bible uses a thousand years or a thousand even and see that, that it, 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 like most of the numbers in the book of Revelation, ought to be understood as a symbol. The 144,000, for example, is a picture of 12,000 from each tribe, that the church is, according to God's numbering, ordered in a perfect military array, or whatever. So we see, for example, Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills belong to the Lord. What about the cow on the 1,003rd hill? That's also the Lord's. That means all the hills. All the cows on all the hills belong to the Lord. Or I'll show mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me. A thousand years comes up three times in the Bible. First in Psalm 90, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. Uh, a thousand years is like a watch in the night. That's how Psalm 90 says it. To talk about the how the greatest human effort is nothing compared to the, for the, to the Lord. And then Peter takes that phrase and quotes it to describe the time of the Lord's patience between his death and second coming. He says, the Lord is not slow as some count slowness, but long-suffering, desiring that all would come to salvation. We must remember that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, Peter uses the thousand years to describe the time of the Lord's patience between the ascension and the return in glory, which is how it's used in John 2. Now, there's a lot more in the John 20 text. But we would understand this as an overlaid reality. In other words, the world is continuing to persecute and afflict the church, and yet we are with Christ ruling and reigning. His kingdom is not of this world, not yet, until the new heavens and the new earth. So the church is always afflicted, and the church is always dragged around. In fact, in Luke 21, when Jesus is, and, and Matthew 24, when Jesus is just describing how things are going to be, and he says, the end is not yet, this is just how it's going to be. He says, nations are going to rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, and they're going to drag you into the court, and they're going to kill you, and you're going to preach to them. There's a, there's a misunderstanding with post-millennialism that has the idea that the nations can be Christian. There can be Christians in the nation, but the nation itself, you can't baptize a nation. 
It's impossible. Only the people. So I think that's right. And I hope that gives you a sense on how I like to read Revelation as well. But if you have a more specific question on that, that would be great. And thank you so much for the question. God be, God be praised that you're thinking about these things and engaging in them. Hopefully this is helpful. God's peace be with you.